0: This train is the service to Hastings, calling at Etchingham, Robertsbridge, Battle, Crowhurst, West St Leonards, St Leonards Warrior Square and Hastings. We will shortly be arriving at Robertsbridge.
1: Listening to the Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name's Jack Thurston and today the Bike Show is coming from the Kent-Sussex border. I'm travelling with my old cycling friend Daniel Start. Dan and I have been cycling in different parts of the UK for as long as I can remember. In fact, my first international bike trip was with Dan back in 1993 when we rode from one side of Romania uh, to the other on a couple of very inappropriate bicycles.
2: So, Dan, what's our route going to be today? Well, it's a circular route, Jack, carefully selected so that it it travels only on uh, single-track lanes. Um, It's a bit wiggly because of that, um, and I think it might have quite a lot of hills in, but probably 40 miles, and we'll see if we can make it down to the coast and back up again. Does that sound all right? And then we've got an appointment with Mad Jack Fuller, the local
1: uh, eccentric who's buried in a churchyard in a pyramid, apparently.
2: I've had a look at the map, and um, most of our route's on these narrow lanes, and I think we'll pass about eight pubs. Eight pubs? All right, well, that sounds like a good selection. There's the river Breed as well. We might be able to swim there, but we'll probably do best when we get to Cofirst First Pay. So have you brought your swimming trunks, or is this going to be um, uh, au naturel? Well, I think it's a matter of
1: choice. <laughs> All right, well, I'd also have to say, to describe the scene, that there is not a bit of man-made fibre in sight. We are, we are cotton-clad. Dan's got a pair of leather desert boots on um, <laughs> and, a, and a rather fetching stripy shirt covered in grease and oil from his chain. And the bikes are actual relics. I think we're on... Well, we're both on... Uh, reynolds 531 tubing if that means anything to anybody listening Um, dan yours is an old claude butler that in fact you've had for as long as i've known you which is pushing on for 20 years
2: i mean tell me about your relationship with this bike well this was a present from my father Um, he didn't use it very much he bought it in um, 1981, and even then he was quite proud of how old it was. I've probably done about 15,000 miles on it since. And uh, and it's a kind of beige colour, uh, with quite scuffed
1: uh, transfers, but you can still see that it's Claude Butler. I nice it, old alloy, alloy wheels. I think it's golden colour, actually. Gold, not beige. <laughs> so today I'm going to be riding on a piece of cycling history, which is a... 1963 Mercian King of Mercia uh, with a beautiful original paint job from 42 years ago, uh, kind of British racing green with original uh, fairground transfers and a lovely gold old style Mercian uh, logo on the down tube. So that's going to be a real pleasure. I'm not quite sure about the 1967 Brooks saddle because that's been moulded to somebody else's behind and that may prove a little bit uncomfortable. Now, Dan, you've been living up in Snowdonia for the last couple of years, although you've just
2: recently moved back to London. What were you doing up in North Wales? Well, we were trying an experiment called um, Wildfire, which was about um, taking people on urban detoxes up into the mountains, uh, making lots of, lots of big bonfires in the woods, uh, doing the odd um, sauna, and just trying to get people into a more intuitive, relaxed state of mind um, so they could get a better sense of where they wanted to go in life, what was going on for them, create a a new vision for where they were going, a kind of um, vision quest, almost like a traditional rite of passage where you escape to the wilderness for 24 hours fast and then come back down off the mountain with a clearer sense of purpose. And how does the wilderness
1: fit into that? What's the connection between wild places and the mind?
2: When people go up onto a mountain top or out into nature, it's about as close as they, most people, get to uh, having some kind of church, a place where they can feel the expanse of the world around them. They can see and hear um, a wild environment, which kind of locks them into a, a sense of what their own wildness is and their own sense of intuition about who they are and what they are. It makes you feel very small suddenly about your life, but it also when you start to look around for answers... In places where you don't normally uh, wouldn't normally look, It'd be quite uh, revelatory for people.
1: And you've been to all kinds of wild places around the world. I mean, just this year, you've been in the Niger Delta, in Azerbaijan, in the Ethiopian Highlands, and before that, you've been in spent a long time in uh, Irian Jaya. Um, you've travelled around Africa, but still, it's possible to find delights um, in the wildness
2: of the home counties, isn't it? <laughs> well. I- I think it's a great challenge, isn't it? What can you find within an hour from London on a train? And um, we've got all these amazing network of lanes and tiny little bits of wilderness, not, not very big, but you can find areas where you can almost lose yourself and, you know, Mother Nature is still working hard and there are animals and a sense of magic that you might get if you're in, in Welsh woods or in mountains in New Guinea. Um, and to a certain degree, it's not exactly about where you where you are so much. Is what's around you and the sense of inspiration that gives you.
3: The sun doesn't shine.
1: Yeah, well we stopped after, what would you say, about five miles under our tyres. Five miles?
3: Three miles.
1: Three miles for what has officially been declared as lunch.
2: It's one of, 20 past one.
1: But this, um, this stop is most one, welcome. Two, three, four miles. Four miles. Okay, out of a total of 25. But at least so an 800 foot ascent. So in what way could four out of 25 be considered halfway point?
2: It's not a halfway point, it's, it's really the, the beginning point, and then halfway point will be tea.
1: Okay, so everything's being rearranged in terms of the
2: schedule. <laughs> Given that we didn't start till midday.
1: That's a good way to go. Now you've got two drinks there, Dan. One drink wasn't enough for you, so you decided to get two, which is... <clears throat> two halves. A half of Harvey's bitter and a half of local, locally
2: produced Foster's lager. <laughs> well, cheers. Cheers, I'm starting on the Harvey's. But the um, Fosses is cooler. That's true, and Tempr- temperature-wise, but it is a bit fizzy. I thought it might be a good thirst quencher. I must say the Harveys is definitely better.
1: Well, it's two and a half pints later, and what's the time now, Dan? Almost three o'clock. Just past two. I think the ride's about to begin. <laughs> <laughs> so what's our route now? We're gonna we we're, we're cutting off the excursion to Rye. Let's get the um, map out. And it's looking like um, Mill Corner, Beckley, down through Beckley Woods. Then there's a a bridge across. We ought to go on that bridge across the River Breed, a footpath and bridge, or it could be even a ford. I don't know, that looks a bit dodgy there.
2: I think we'll get across there, won't we? Because if it's a footpath, then imagine, there's a bridge there, surely. Well, there isn't actually a bridge, but I'm sure we'll get across, because what with low rainfall and things. Do you think there'll be a ferryman? and really take bikes. Maybe
1: in the olden days. And then we can kind of, kind of loop back round through battle and uh, back up to Roberts Bridge. Excellent, well I'm going to follow you. Oh, Dan, we just pulled up at Bodium Castle which I don't know, I think there's only one word that can be used to describe Bodium Castle and that's it's it's a comedy castle I mean this is not a castle for defending yourself is it this is a castle for having a children's party in or something it
2: was exactly the words I was going to use it's a comical castle I think it's the kind of place you would entertain people it's nice that they let bicycles in for free though yeah now how do you get in because
1: there's a huge moat full of ducks and water it's quite well defended isn't it I don't know but there's some people inside. Maybe they've gone around the back way. Maybe that's easier. I think
2: we should find a boat or swim. Maybe this is the place for the swim. I think there's quite an interesting story about this castle because oh, there's stories I can't remember though. <laughs> but apparently, it, it was during the Great Civil War, and all the round coats. And the roundheads, Dan. <laughs> the red coats, I'm thinking. The roundheads. What did the roundheads do? <laughs> they came in and they they sacked the castle. And decided to take the roof off so it couldn't be used anymore. But, which is why it's got no roof. Wow, a tragic incident in the history of castles. But a clever strategy, don't you think? Although I'm sure they could have defended themselves without a roof. Maybe they had. Um, they didn't have any aeroplane then, did they? Not in the Civil War, Dan, no. When was that? Which century?
1: I think geography is your uh, strong point, I have to say, (laughs) and expeditions, when it comes to history, you're a complete dead loss.
2: Yeah, it's true, they've said that before.
4: of skin nor oh, yet with the lips of dark snow but let the white dove sing of the body of life of the lover whose love is complete, all the hands out to greet. Ah, let not the swan be brought low. Oh, 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 let his move. Moved by her hand She is mirrored forever In the life of the land In the building of thoughts, In the shifting of sand
1: Well, having been passed by a couple of very rapid cyclists who are pretty much entirely composed out of lycra carbon fiber and titanium we've just taken a turning off to the right and we're going to do a bit of off-road action or at least go down a track that seems to be beginning in the most beautiful pear orchard look at these pears i don't even
2: see anything like it it kind of makes you think when they all get ripe all in the same week what are they going to do with them all well hopefully they'll eat them
1: hill after the pub, is always a bit painful in the legs.
2: Gosh! I think it's going to have quite the feather it does do you.
3: How
1: did you
2: start riding? Was it riding around London? Well, there was obviously riding to um, get to school and then there was riding to escape, escape family, escape London. I remember bicycling was a very good way at school of getting off
1: the organised games that they (laughs) tried to force you to do. Beckley left. Because after a while, you get to a certain age, well, the age is probably about 12, when you actually don't fancy doing cross country, even if you ever did fancy doing cross country. More to the point, and you're no good at cricket or football. And you're no good at cricket or football. And so it seemed like a perfect plan organize a cycling club as a kind of alternative but officially sanctioned sporting pursuit you're in charge of that
2: pretty much when you were the chief ringleader anyway i think it was a rather organic movement wasn't it but um i think we need to pay thanks at this point to andrew shidlow our mad polish chemistry teacher so we need a we needed a school teacher who would sort of officially sanction to take the group out and um he seemed to have let us go to all the pubs, didn't he? He did. I think he was upset that there weren't as many explosions
1: en route as he would have liked. Because he was a chemistry teacher who was a big fan of uh, large explosions. White phosphorus and paraffin seemed to be his big one, I seem to remember. And there was—didn't um... he blow up some kid's hand in Epping Forest? Or well, is that just an urban myth? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably quite close to. The tree. I thought the kid—that kid went on who was a particularly. Attentive student, and then he went on and joined some militia
2: and got involved in firearms. Yeah, one has to be careful these days about those kind of things. Have you ever made proxy acetone, mate? Oh dear, we're ruined a game of an on PC comment. Hopefully, nobody knows what proxy acetone is. What is proxy acetone? Proxy is the unbelievably easy to make explosive that was used in all the recent terrorist attacks they're right here. How would you make it? <coughs> well it's easily available on the internet so um, basically you take some acetone.
1: Which, Where would which you get that from? Yeah, uh, a nail store?
2: varnish remover you can buy it in bottles of 100 mils, 500 mils. Take some battery acid for cars, boil that up until it produces white smoke, that turns it into contrafaced sulfuric and then you add that to hydrogen peroxide which is used for hair bleaching. You mix the three together and you leave them stirred, but not shaken, overnight in a fridge. It produces crystals of proxy acetone. You only need about five kilograms of that. And that'll make you a bomb? Very, very unstable. Degrades, half life of about three to five days. So you've got to use it quickly? Use it quickly, it goes off, yeah. Very unstable, so sometimes uses a detonator in its own right. Feels good to be making some distance now, doesn't it? Well, I have a
1: very straight. Road ahead of us with one of these lovely kind of archways of trees where the trees on either side of the lane have kind of joined up in the middle. So if you're a squirrel or some kind of bird you could um, you could just hop from one side of the road to the other without actually. Oh
2: there's another cyclist picking blackberries. Let's talk and talk to her. Hello.
1: Is it blackberries already? <whistles> really? trouble is picking blackberries while riding a bike puts you at grave danger of puncture doesn't it with the thorns so we just come through a woodland but it's quite interesting because on either side of the lane there's quite a different kind of woodland i mean what's what is it it's conifers to the left to the, to the to our left and what's that on the right hand side is that
2: beech coppice I think it's um, hazel coppice actually, but it's not been managed for about ten years. You can see the poles have become more appropriate for sort of teepees rather than um, yurts. Very, very overgrown stumps, but and very dense and penetrable. Well, that's kind of good wood, as opposed to evil wood, Tradici- which is traditional wood. That's certainly traditional. On the other side, you've yeah, it's all conifers and had the life and life and soul sucked out of it. Scary, though. Quite fun to wander around in, in a scary kind of way. Got no magic though, has it? I can hear a squirrel. If you go into it.
1: Dan is now entering the hazel coppice. And he's completely disappeared from view.
2: <laughs> Amazing how much lower the lane is than the woods, isn't it? You kind of have to climb up into the woods <laughs> off the lane.
1: So what's the that verdict?
2: It's Huge, huge bits of contorted overgrown copper stumps. I suppose I don't know what you do with the wood these days. I could use it to build a yurt. Well, yeah, well a teepee, yeah. Because you, you need really perfect for big, the big fat struts of, uh, of a teepee. It wouldn't be any good for a yurt. You need lots of narrow poles for that. But um, I don't know what else you could do with it. When it once it gets this size, It's basically ruined. You've got to cut all the big ones off again and start again. It's the poles that are useful in coppicing, up to about an inch or two inch diameter. Maybe this is the bit of wood that you can buy, Dan. Yeah, I'm getting off that idea, I think. Just think, what's the point of buying wooden when you can just sort of not pay anything for it and visit it when you want? (laughs) Just wander in. Well, Exactly. Wander in, you could probably stay a few days, probably a few weeks, nobody will know.
1: Yeah, that's a nice uh, approach to um, right access, to
2: Rome. right to roam. Right to use, right to habitate. It's true. I mean, what harm are you doing? I'm not doing any harm, but people kind of have a, a sense that they want to... Uh, I suppose, you know, it's like, why, why would you want to own a bit of woodland when you can use it anyway? You've just got extra stress, worrying about how it's being used and maybe the fact that you're trying to keep people out. I think it's nice to be able to go into a bit of woodland and maybe stay a few nights there and light a fire without worrying that somebody's going to come along and turf you out. Usually you're not going to get found anyway. Anyway, you could always go and ask them if you could go and stay in there for a few days. They might think you're travellers. We used to have some woods near us in Cornwall and people came and did that. It's beautiful looking up at the
1: uh, canopy of... Hazel leaves and the sky above them, it's all kinds of different shades of green as one leaf goes over another leaf and creates a kind of darker shade.
2: Incredible sort of mottled collage, isn't it? Quite psychedelic, quite
1: psychedelic.
0: Guess what? I've spoken to Norm! We're gonna live in the trees Didier will be transformed We're gonna live in the trees We're gonna live in the trees I'll bring you a fat juicy worm I'll bring you millipedes Open your beak and close your eyes We're gonna live in the trees, we're gonna live in the trees Norm tells me you're ready to fly We're gonna live in the trees You're that much closer to the sky We're gonna live in the trees, we're gonna live in the trees You either take off or you turn. You can't fly by degrees But fly any chance fly a mile We're gonna live in the trees We're gonna live in the trees
1: Well we've arrived to within practically touching distance of the sea in a small town called Fairlight which seems to be pretty much the equivalent of Hampstead Garden suburb on the south coast and um, this is where I have to confess that Dan is quite the world's worst map reader not in the sense that he doesn't understand maps but in the sense that if he finds that a map doesn't conform with his own sense of the way the world should look and should be then uh, he kind of overrides the map and says, well, no, this is, this is clearly wrong and the world is going to be like this and there's going to be a nice beach here when all we've found is an enormous cliff. Anyway, he's insisting that there's a way down. So I've let him go off and investigate and uh, see if he can get down to the sea. But um, we'll see what happens. I can still see him and he's looking down over the edge of a precipice
2: and so the verdict is, I can't do it in these shoes. I might do it barefoot, but I don't, I'm not going to do it by myself. <laughs> if people have been down there, you reckon? Yeah, foolhardy people. <laughs> it looks nice. Water looks warm. How about we just go down to Fairlight Cove and uh, have uh, a nice I'm not swim down there? Going down to a grotty little place like that because we're going to have to cycle all the way back up because our route takes us over that hill anyway. We're going to have to get all the way down and all the way back up to go for a, a swim in a sort of concrete promenade. It doesn't feel wild enough to me. We found, finally, a wild part of the Kent coast. All we need to do now is... Climb down a cliff. There can be many other places it might be simpler. You've got brilliant shoes on, you're just being a coward. Now, these are cycling shoes. They're terrible. They've got a
1: big piece of metal in the, in the centre. That's
2: perfect. Perfect. I think rope would be useful as well, maybe we could take one of those chains.
1: So you reckon we need crampons, ice axe and rope to go down this cliff to the sea? I think those were your words. It's past six o'clock and uh, still lovely and warm. We're getting on for that time of the day. The golden hour, where everything just looks a hundred times more beautiful than it really is, Uh, or maybe it it looks as beautiful as it really is at this time of day. Stunning, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a nice time of day. It's beautiful light, good for photography, golden glow.
1: I just have to. Recount the most amazing sight coming down through a lane back there. I was cycling behind Dan and this enormous white barn owl just flew out of the trees and flew down the lane. And on top of Dan's head, it looked like it was swooping down, mistaking your head for some owl dinner. It was incredible. Have you ever seen an owl like that? No, yeah, it was absolutely beautiful, is not it? Huge white body. Really beautiful flying thing and then it stopped in the tree had a look at us and uh, flew on again
2: yeah it kind of looked looked over its shoulder didn't it that's when we could really see that it was an owl just flying along beneath the boughs of the trees that were overhanging the lane
1: That is the sound of an A road, which is exactly the kind of road that you don't want to find yourself cycling down when you're trying to recreate a uh, cycle tour in the genteel Edwardian fashion. Well, Dan, we're coming near to our journey's end.
2: The graveyard.
1: And here we are in Breitling Churchyard, final resting place of. Mad Jack Fuller, maverick, industrialist and uh, insane man. And this is where he's buried, inside a giant pyramid with a, a pigeon on the top at the moment. That's about 30 feet high,
2: would you say? Yeah, it looks rather antiquarian, doesn't it? 30 foot high, 20 foot wide. Inside one man. On top,
1: a family of pigeons. Probably with more money than sense. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you make a lot of money, you've got to do something with it. Building follies and uh, burying yourself in a pyramid is um, not a bad way, a creative way, an artistic way to spend your money. There's a lot more tacky ways to spend your money, I suppose.
2: It's definitely quite impressive. Slightly odd coming into a little Kent churchyard and finding a pyramid. Well, worth cycling here for, actually.
1: Well, we're back at Roberts Bridge Station and it's been a beautiful ride. Zero punctures. We saw a barn owl. We saw a man buried in a pyramid. We just about escaped uh, death on the cliffs of Fairlight. But I feel
2: like it's been longer than a day. So we're heading back into um, London almost exactly 24 hours after we set off from London. Didn't quite manage to get the swim in. Although we did try, uh, finally, at the end of the evening in a reservoir. It's been a fantastic way to clear the head, hasn't it? So how does it compare to Snowdonia? Well, it's not exactly wilderness, but I think there's something about being on a bicycle with sights and sounds rushing by the whole time, which is a bit similar to being up on a wild mountain. And, um, yeah, different from walking, because there's so so much going on around you. You don't get time to have have the same time to dwell on things like you do. I, I think it's, you know, for an hour from London, it's a bit, it's a bit like being up there in the rushing, the rushing wind of a mountain top.